So tonight, we're starting over at uh, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we're starting in Genesis. A week ago, we kind of did an introduction. A lot of details and a little bit of a labor in the Word, but um, just by way of uh, uh, you know recap, the first thing we want to look for in, in any book is the context. And so we saw that God indeed is the context, because really, the rest of the Bible has its context in Genesis. Genesis is where uh, is the beginning, and so to put Genesis in context, we need to know that it's God, and He existed, and is eternal, and and Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, is with the Father. In First John, or I'm sorry, John chapter one, and if you want to add to that Psalm two, I was going to say also I'm going to probably name a number of verses that I'm not going to actually have you turn to. So if you want to jot them down and and um, Make notes as you go of some of these passages. We know that all things visible and invisible were made by Jesus through him and for him in Colossians chapter 1. We know that the Spirit of God was at creation, both from verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit establishes Jesus Christ as, and, and the Father when Jesus was baptized by John and, and a voice spoke from heaven saying, This is my Son, hear ye him. You know, listen to him, the Holy Spirit lighting on Jesus and um, bearing witness that you have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first few chapters. And we know in the beginning, God, and we talked about this last week, Elohim is plural. And we already talked about Jesus being with him and the Holy Spirit being there. And so we have the Godhead already being talked about just in the grammar, the language of the first uh, chapter, the first verse. Elohim, plural, uh, created the heavens and the earth, so we know God is three in one. The doctrine of the Trinity, one God, three persons, all three eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, first and last, and Alpha and Omega, spoken by the Lord Jesus and the Father and God. Um, the testimony for all this, again, is prophecy and miracles. The word of God was given, and the word of God was fulfilled exactly as it was given, and to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T from Matthew chapter 5. And that's important to kind of keep in mind because we're going to be talking about those that would like to maybe put some things into Genesis that aren't really there. Well, Jesus said it'll all be fulfilled to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. So therefore, what we have isn't missing any dots or crossings, really. And so we want to remember that God is faithful to his word to, to bring that to us. So therefore, God is the creator and sovereign over his creation, Lord of all. And as a result, we know that Genesis is a historical account of creation and not some kind of imagery or not some kind of allegory, as some might want to tell you. And we have this account corroborated and detailed throughout the rest of Scripture, and we'll talk about a few of them, but not even touching, not even scratching the surface. So, therefore, nothing from outside of Scripture is necessary to support or legitimize this historical account. Try and let that sink in, because that really is the premise for everything we're going to study. We don't need any other evidence. We don't need any other proof we have the word of God and the prophecy and the miracles that, that confirm the word of God. 
But also we have this account corroborated throughout Scripture. So nothing from outside Scripture is necessary to support or legitimize it. And conversely, therefore, anything outside of Scripture, such as scientific discoveries, theories, philosophies, are not legitimate when they contradict or detract from Scripture. And that's the premise. That's where we're starting from. Hopefully that helps you right there alone because we'll be talking about a few that do try and detract and try and add things and and, uh, squeeze some ideas and philosophies in between the verses, uh, starting with verse (laughs) 1. They can't leave it alone because they have to try and figure out how to legitimize the Bible using science. And that's not necessary. We know Moses is the writer. Whenever you have a new book, you want to find out who the author of that book is. Well, Moses is the writer of the first five books of the Bible, also called the Torah, the Pentateuch, or the Law of Moses. Now, to corroborate that or to confirm that, Jesus referred to Moses often regarding the law, talking about Adam, talking about marriage from the Garden of Eden, uh, from the creation account. So Jesus you know, verifies, uh, bears witness to Moses. Not to mention Abraham, all the times that Jesus and the apostles are talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Israel, then Joseph, and then Egypt. All of these are from Genesis. All these attributed to Moses. So in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus said if we're not persuaded by Moses and the prophets, you know, then we're not going to even be persuaded, he said to the, to the rich man. He says, even if somebody raises from the dead to go talk to your brothers, they have Moses and the prophets. They're not going to believe, even if somebody comes back to them from the dead. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 16. And so this is what we know so far from just some of the rest of Scripture concerning the book of Genesis. And um, so we're going to read through the first chapter. Uh, we're just going to come back and try and tackle five verses this this evening. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so, the evening and the morning were the first day. Well, then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And thus God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Well, then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the third day. 
Well, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And so God created great seed creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields its seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were of the sixth day. We're going to stop there. And it's actually, some might stop chapter 1 around the... uh, at chapter 2, verse 3, because that's basically the seventh day. But um, again, something to always keep in mind when this was written, it didn't have verses and chapters. It was written out straight up. And so when you have verse uh, and paragraphs and things like that, paragraphs would have been in the original language, but the verses they gave to us just to find, um, nevertheless, they help because it kind of divides different subjects for us. But um, day one, verses one through five, verses one and two, we have the heavens and the earth, and it says it was void or empty or nothing. We have darkness over the deep and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Now when we get to day two, the waters are divided and make a firmament, and that's in verses, uh, and God calls the firmament heaven, that's verses six through eight. And then on day three, he gathers the waters together under the heavens and calls that the earth, and he calls the waters that are gathered together seas, and that's verses uh, 9 through 10 and verses 11 and 12. 
But what was created on day one is going to be really important for us because this is where a lot of people want to try and squeeze some things in there to try and fit with uh, discoveries in science and so forth. Um, it says on day one, we, well, first thing we want to do is do a few word studies so we know what's being talked about. The word beginning isn't just like back when something started. It means the first. It means, first of all, the very first thing that happens. And so what we know right away is we're not talking about something that was kind of around the time that the beginning was. It's not around when. It is first. It's important because uh, it's not a redo of previous things. And we're going to talk about the gap theory and the uh, old earth creationists that are out there today. It's not about any kind of a, uh, you know, a redo, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And from here, everything is next. This is the beginning, heavens and earth. Now, that's first, and now what's next? Well, he says created. The word create or created is bara, and that means to shape or fashion, but not from something else. It means to create out of nothing. And it means a new thing, and it's, it's how it's used throughout Scripture. Is this is a brand new thing, something never seen or done before. It's not being made of anything else or out of anything else. It's important, again. And what is the subject for this word, being made out of nothing? Well, he says the earth, right? And uh, the earth was without form, he says. Now, because it's in the beginning, it means it's the first. Again, we talked about it's not a redo, it's not a mulligan, you know, and, and this is where many Christian pastors and leaders disbelieve this simple account and seek to interject an idea or a speculation to try and accommodate the worldly wisdom and the elementary principles of this world that uh, Paul talks about in Colossians. These traditions of men, such as the theory of evolution. How do we know if there were no witnesses? You know, we have testimonies throughout Scripture. Well, how do we know if there were no witnesses? Well, there was. God was there, and he told Moses to write everything down exactly as it took place. Jesus told John to tell us that he was there and that we're to believe. Jesus pointed to Moses, right? And the Holy Spirit was there, and as always, he points us to Jesus. He doesn't speak of himself, and we'll look at that a little bit, as the Holy Spirit will always do. But by the way, and I was reminded of this this afternoon, and praise the Lord for it, because if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, and also um, we'll go to Proverbs 8 right after, because we're talking about speculation. We're talking about the wisdom of the world. We're talking about the traditions of men. We're talking about scientific discoveries that they want to say this is why this is what it's leading to and there's a lot of it out there um, and a lot of people it's the wisdom of the world the whole world this is their wisdom so in first corinthians 1 let's just do a little contrast between worldly wisdom and god's wisdom verses 18 through 31 it says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom doesn't know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. What's the message? The message of the cross. You have to die to live. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Who is the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. Now, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, that's kind of the context of this verse. But look at the rest up to 31. For you you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the shame, put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. These things which are not to bring to nothing those things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I'm, I'm not ad, you know, advocating, nor is Paul advocating, that you don't try and get an education for your kids or try and have them be as, as uh, ready for you know, being able to make a, their way in this world as possible. But keep in mind, when the wisdom of this world begins to contradict or try to add to or, uh, you know, just eliminate the word of God. Well, that's when he makes it foolish. And the best, the most wisdom, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I kind of see that when I think of the, the, the telescopes that are going to see all these light years away. I think to myself, uh, they think that they're seeing the beginnings and the origins because the farther out you go, they believe because of the speed of light and so forth, the farther back in history you go seeing now back to the very beginning. And they even show a chart, shows all the stars, and then there's this end of the universe, and then it's the Big Bang. It's on their, their pictures that they're showing kids in the public schools. And so they believe that they will be able to see all the way back. They'll be able to measure what it means to, um, to measure um, a black hole, dark matter, and so forth. They have all of this. And how does God bring that to foolishness? Well, they believe that that's the wisdom that's going to let them live. And he's the, he came and died for our sins. They don't believe that it's, it's necessary to, to die. Even these days, you know, why do people have to die? We're going to live forever. You know, we're going to try and upload our brains into the, into the um, singularity and, and all. But mostly what I'm trying to say is um, it's a contrast to the worldly wisdom And Jesus says that Proverbs 8, um, getting a little off track there. That's what happens when I try and figure out the wisdom of the world. And that's part of it, too, because people are tempted. And we'll get into that a little bit, but people are tempted when trying to witness to the world, trying to to be a friend to your neighbor who's worldly. Uh, You try and understand him a little bit so that you can win him, don't we? I mean, that's true. Uh, but sometimes you've got to be careful because the wisdom of the world is not the wisdom of God. 
And you don't want to let them go along believing something that's just not true. Proverbs 8. There's one more witness. God was there, told Moses what took place. Jesus told John to say that he was there. The Holy Spirit was there. We saw in verse 2. One more thing is there. In verse 22 through 31. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I have been established from everlasting. From the beginning, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. Boy, what language. For he had prepared the heavens, and I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. What's he talking about? He's talking about wisdom. Wisdom was God was with God at the beginning, the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom is Jesus Christ. So what was created on that first day? Just day one. Well, first of all, the heavens and the earth. But at this point, they're only waters, right? Because we saw how you get to the day three and, and uh, you see the waters are, are uh, separated into the firmament. The Spirit of God was there from day one and um, from eternity, but he hovered, it says, from the root word to, to brood over, but also to relax. And so he's, he's there hovering over this darkness, over, or over this deep, and there was darkness there. So on day one, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that includes the heavens and the earth, which is all water and depth, and the Spirit is brooding over the, the surface of it. But then God said, now, the act of creating is simply his word. It didn't take any conjuring. It didn't take any uh, previous material to be there. He simply spoke it, and it happened. Psalm 33, if you want to go there, gives us a little uh, insight into that. The sovereignty of the Lord in creation and history. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with the instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of goodness of the Lord. You know, and when we worship, it's so important for us to, to get our one-on-one -on -one with him, to draw close to him as he'll draw close to us. Try not to be distracted, to lay aside, as Dwight likes to say, to lay aside all the, all the troubles of the day and to just settle in and, and meet our Lord and not be distracted by anything and, and um, just having that, that time. But what does he say? He says, by the words, or by the word, I'm sorry, of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, 
He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. What's our response? As we go through this, it's kind of an early application here a little bit, but what's our response? Is to fear the Lord and, and show him the glory and the admiration that, uh, that he is due for all this that he did create, for his wisdom, and for providing for us all these things. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word let there be, now going back to Genesis 1, means coming to existence. His word spoke and it happened. To come into existence. Notice these reoccurring phrases throughout chapter 1 um, and throughout the whole chapters. Then God said. How many times he said, uh, and it was so. Now, this points to a sequence. First he said, then it happened. This is a sequence. It didn't happen at the same time. We're going to be talking about time a little bit. Um, let there be, or let this bring forth, many times. And it did. Then many times God called. Many times God saw that it was good. These are reoccurring phrases, and they apply because we'll see what was and maybe uh, what was very good. And so he says, let there be, and there was light. Now, the light God created is made up of particles and photons, and, and it's measurable. It has wavelength. It has a spectrum, um, even beyond the scope of human vision, infrared and ultraviolet. But God also says in the scriptures that he is light and the light about himself. Now, sometimes it's figuratively, as we know, as a light to the Gentiles and out of you know, driving, uh, um, exposing darkness of sin, and that's in First John. But literal light drives out literal darkness, as God's light drives out spiritual darkness. But he said, you know, he also is light. Let's look at John 1, and we have to talk about this a little bit. Again, we're, we're establishing doctrine because there are those that, come up with the craziest things and again like we talked about a few weeks ago you need the word of God as a plumb line you hold that up next to something to see whether it's crooked or whether it's straight and then the whatever's crooked needs to be corrected uh, we hold it up to our own lives to see what's crooked in our lives and by the word of God we hold it up to it and we correct what needs to be corrected and we hold it up to teaching and see if that teaching is scriptural. And if it's crooked, then it needs to be corrected. And if it's not going to allow itself to be corrected, then it's time to move on. So in John 1, 9, or 7 through 9, this man, well, am I in the right place? John 1, 7 through 9. says, This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. So this is talking about John the Baptist. And he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And so Jesus calling himself that light, John bearing witness. Now, we also have Hebrews 1, and we've been there many times, but real quick, I'm just going to read it for you. 
Um, it says, God, who at various times and uh, ways spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. But notice this, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, who being the brightness of his glory. When we talk about God being light, it has to do with his glory. You know, God is not like light. He's not like love. God is love. God is truth. God is light. Now, sometimes it's used metaphorically, right? Or figuratively. But also, this is his nature. These are his attributes. They don't change or they apply only in certain circumstances. God was light before creation. So when he created light, it's not the light that he is. It's a different kind of light. It's not a light that uh, can be bent or can be manipulated or or anything like that. But um, it's like the doctrine. The Bible says it's his his brightness goes before him. His glory shines forth. And he was light before there was anything created that needed to be illuminated. It's the brightness of his glory. And like the doctrine of the Trinity, we cannot yet entirely comprehend God and his nature. He gives us all that he desires to give us in his word. And we may not be able to understand it with our mind, the three in one. But soon, and throughout all eternity, his nature and his mercy you know, which is, endures forever, the Bible says, and his love, which is beyond measure for us, will be revealed and never-ending. And for now we have his word, and we know what he says about himself, his, himself and f- sometimes it's figurative, and sometimes it's just who he is. Now, I'm talking like this, but be careful, because someone could say a lot of the same stuff here, similar to it, and what they're talking about is personifying light itself. And so this light that was always out there in the ether, if you will, and, um, and make it their God or think that the light is the God of the Bible. It's just light. It's not God. It's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's just light. Or a person. Or they turn it into the Godhead. Always beware any false teaching that God is the light or the great light is God or a God. What they're doing is they're trying to twist light into a, a uh, material God that's just some kind of a force or some kind of a yin and yang heresy, you know, sort of thing. You've heard of it, good and evil. You've seen you've got the white and you've got the black, good and evil. And uh, light and dark, um, the forces of good, the, the force of, of light and the force of dark, Star, Star Wars, for crying out loud. Um, you know, that's Buddhism uh, it, and the like sort of thing. It has to do with powers. It doesn't have to do with the person of Almighty God. So I'm not trying to say that when I'm talking about God is light. He called himself light. And uh, Well, so far then, on day one, we have heaven and earth. And at this point, They are nothing more than the deep waters and they're covered with darkness. And then he created light. And then 
what else was created on day one? God took that light and he created and divided the darkness, it says. He took the light he created and split darkness. So you have light and you have darkness. The two cannot dwell in the same place. And again, we, so we have to have a sequence. There's light, it divides from the darkness. Well, it can't be there at the same time. So there's time while there's light and there's time while there's darkness. What just happened? God just created time. And we think of time as being infinite in the past and infinite in the future. Not so. We think of God as maybe having to pass through time, but he just knows what's going on. That's not true. It's, it's kind of like this. Many describe it as this. If you've got a parade going through town, and it's you know two or three miles long because it's a great parade, and they've just got all kinds of stuff, and it goes around some corners in the neighborhood, there's no way that you can see that whole parade at once. But you go up in a helicopter... And you can look down and you can see, well, there is the whole beginning and the whole end. And that's, that's how the best I can do, uh, the best I've heard that can kind of give us an idea of what it means to be outside of time. And God is outside of time. God created time as we know it right now. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And to think about what it was for God to be in eternity without time smashes the P up here because this is a P brain. And that's what I mean by smashes the pea. And it, it's just something that's beyond our comprehension. Nevertheless, um, he, he divided that darkness and separated them. So this is the beginning of time because light casts out darkness. So this much light to divide, then dark, then divided again, light and dark. And what did he call them? He says, this is day. This is night. The word day is yam. It's probably pronounced a little differently than me, but a period of time or the passing of a day when it's used throughout Scripture, when it's light out, he put a marker between them, this, uh, this light and this dark. He says, I'm going to call it evening as we're getting on towards dark, and I'm going to call it morning as we're getting on towards day. This is a sequence. This is the creation of time. Uh, it's the first day. So heaven and earth, Water, um, the firmament we'll talk about later, and the, the water being divided up. He also invented time. Or I shouldn't say, did I say invent? He also created time. Cut that from the tape, please. <laughs> so, and then just the simple fact that it's a, it's a period of time that has light divided from darkness. So the list is one more thing. What did God create on day one? Day it a day itself, the simple idea or the simple fact that there is such a thing as a day. These are all created on day one, and as you look at it, you realize that that had to be um, the same length day as any other day in creation. Why is this important? Well, because the scriptures talk about evening and morning throughout and periods of night and day, always used to refer to a normal, regular 24-hour day. Now, there's also times when it says the day or that day or in that day, a period of time that's maybe an event, uh, possibly multiple days, weeks, months, or even years, like the day of the Lord. Um, the context is key for that use of the word day. So what's the context of Genesis? Well, it's God. Can God do it all in one day? Does he need anything else? Um, we saw that when he created 
uh, it wasn't made out of something. It was made from nothing, and it was the first. And we'd establish that. But for the Jews and Israel to this day, the Sabbath day begins on sundown. That's when you know, he talks about it being the evening and the morning of the first day. Begins at sundown on Friday evening now, and it ends on sundown Saturday evening. If you ever get a chance, I think I mentioned this once before, but you go on YouTube, there's a, this guy called Relaxing Walker. And he basically walks around without saying anything unless somebody says hi to him. And just walks around Jerusalem, walks around Tel Aviv, walks around a lot of the uh, archaeological Haifa. Um, he just, and you get to see what Israel's life is like this day. And often he will go out on Saturday night right after sundown and the streets explode because everybody's been sitting in their houses for the last 24 hours because it's been the Sabbath. You can't walk, you, you know, you can't do any more than a certain amount. And so it's interesting if you, if you do chance to see that, what every, the streets, all of the streets are just full on Saturday night because everybody's coming out to either go to a restaurant or get something done or take the kids out. And it's like a Sunday after church for them. Um, but uh, if you want to go to Exodus 20, how do we know that that first day was just a regular day like all the rest of them? Well, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And uh, if we go down to verse 8, we see the Sabbath. And let's just look at what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because five days in one really, really long day where there was a battle in heaven and all sorts of carnage and God had to remake it, and then there was, you shall do all the labor in your first in your work. Well, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, it kind of was confusing. But what I'm saying is it wasn't five days in one really long day. It was six days. Six normal, regular days that the Lord uh, created. But the seventh day is the Sabbath uh, of, the Lord for your, uh, of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Why? Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, all of it. Uh, that was in verse 1, before he even actually recorded saying, and God said, let there be. That was in that six days. Um, and the sea and all that is in them and the rest, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. If you go back to Genesis 2, verse 4, again, how many days? Six. What kind of days? Regular days. Days where the light was uh, dividing the darkness. But in verse 4 it says, This is the history of the earth, or I'm sorry, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Okay, same thing, bara, that day is yam, created bara, out of nothing, that day, yam, in the beginning, the first. Anyway, the gap theory, or the old earth creationism, for those that are believers that are trying to fit things in there that they can't figure out for themselves, you know, and... Um, I'm not a scholar, but I got Wikipedia. And I also know that Wikipedia is a bunch of socialists that are you know, trying to change history. So I understand that. But for lack of better anything else, 
1608, the first telescope was invented. Then in the 1700s or so, there was the Age of Enlightenment. Let me read you what the Age of Enlightenment was. Um, the Age of Enlightenment was an intellectual and philosophical movement that dominated Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries. The Enlightenment included a range of ideas centered on the value of human happiness, the pursuit of knowledge obtained by means of reason and the evidence of the senses, and ideals such as liberty, progress, toleration, fraternity, constitutional government, and it says, and the separation of church and state. It literally says that. Back in the 1700s, they were talking about the separation of church and state. Um, so uh, that's where it starts getting into their narrative. But the idea is, uh, this is the age of enlightenment. They're trying to seek how to uh, use what they're learning. Telescopes invented. They're starting to see things and um, wondering what it is. In the early 1800s, a young pastor, Thomas Chalmers, told his congregates that millions of years is compatible with scriptures. And this began to catch on. In 1859, Darwin set out his theory of evolution. And now some pastors, Christian leaders, and their seminaries had to consider this gap theory that was being talked about. This, this millions of years fitting into scriptures. They're trying to figure out. They've got this age of enlightenment. They're learning all these things. They want to see with their own eyes and their own senses so that they can prove out what goes on. They, back then, these uh, you know, seminaries and, well, the universities were established as Christian ministries you know, to train doctors and leaders, uh, at first using godly application of science and uh, physics and chemistry and, and biology and even geology and astronomy, these were all from, from those early days back then and being used for godly purposes and holding up against Scripture. But now, all of a sudden, well, we can't figure out why the, it appears like the, the earth is millions of years old and we're looking at all our science and we're seeing all these things. So now with these new theories... Um, and some scientists following along, the Christian leaders and seminaries cave to this pressure to accommodate this premise. And they had to ask, well, where does all this fit in the Bible? And if it doesn't fit, then maybe we can try and insert it somewhere where the Bible seems vague or seems kind of silent on the issue. Do you see how this puts scientific theories equal to scriptures or even superior to scriptures because now they're saying well the bible has not got everything we need we need to add a little bit to it you know how about instead we make science conform to the scriptures think of this they say that the earth was in some battle with the angels and that's part of going actually back to the first century there was speculation or some theories about um, a gap prior to creation where there was a war in heaven when Satan fell. And we'll talk about where Satan fell when we get through the, the rest of this chapter um, in the weeks ahead. But they had to have an idea, so they thought, well, there was war in heaven, and it left the earth in chaos because that word void in Genesis 1 means chaos. It means uh, 
emptiness. It means just nothingness, really, and what some of you might think is chaos. Uh, but, and that word is used for that sometimes simply to mean that there is complete destruction, but not to mean that it was, again, in the beginning means the first. Um, but so they had to figure out a way. And so how about we say these fossils that they're saying happened during this war, some of which now science today is saying millions of years old, well, let's say those fossils, that some of them are human fossils that have cancer, or animal fossils that have cancer, that have degeneration. First of all, they're a fossil, which means what? They're dead. Well, when did the fall happen? When did death come? And was there death before the fall? Well, if so, God's a liar. Because he said the fall, sin brings death. And that happened at the fall of Adam. And now his life was, was uh, you know, the wages of sin is death. And so there would have had to been death if these fossils are older than Adam. And that's, first of all, let's fit that little bit of science uh, into their science, that little bit of Bible back into their science. Another one is, if light was created before the sun and the stars, well, light was already here then. So you take a telescope and you point it at that star that's millions of light years away that's probably long extinct. Well, it's okay because the light was already here. Then he put the stars out there and that light wasn't traveling from those stars. That light was here and that star was, star was just bearing that light. That's what the scriptures say. Let's apply that to the science. Let's apply what the word of God says to what they're saying. They want to change the word of God to try and accommodate. So, aren't they really adding to the Word of God? Didn't Jesus warn in the last couple of verses of Revelation, if you add anything, all the curses of this book will be added to you if you take anything away. All the, all the blessings of this book will be taken away. Didn't, uh, you know, and if you think that's only about the, the book of Revelation, well, what was the penalty for being a false prophet in the Old Testament? If it doesn't happen the way you said it happened because you said, thus saith the Lord, you're not a prophet of God. You're a false prophet. What do you do with false prophets in the Old Testament? They've got to die. They're, they're misrepresenting the Lord. What does Paul say to Timothy about false teachers? He says, you know, their end is coming. They will get. Jesus said, you know, uh, it would be better if there's a millstone tied around your neck or if you were never born, if you're going to stumble one of these little ones. And um, with false teaching, the application for us, don't take away from the Word of God. Don't add anything to the Word of God. And that includes Genesis chapter 1. So day one is a regular day, the same as the next five days of creation given in Genesis, an evening and a morning, darkness divided by light. And on day one, God created the heavens, the earth. He created light. He created a day. He created time. And the markers of time, the evening and the morning. And so we know the Father is there. The Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is there. The Holy Spirit is there, hovering and brooding over the beginning of all creation. That same Spirit who moved upon the writers of the law and moved upon the prophets to write the Bible in Second Peter 1, verse 21, who spoke through Moses and spoke through David concerning the, prophets, or the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Same Holy Spirit who filled John the Baptist saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And he pointed to Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus, by whom Mary conceived in Luke 1, 20, uh, 35, by the same Holy Spirit. same Holy Spirit who John the Baptist saw descending and lighting on Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed on the disciples, by whom we're born again in Luke 11, John 7, John 14. The same Holy Spirit who wrote the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. And also in Acts, the same Holy Spirit who worked through the disciples, working miracles, and, and many people being saved. The same Holy Spirit who prophesied in the Old Testament that he would be poured out on all flesh, including the Gentiles, and who teaches us all things. And this one we've got to look up. The same Holy Spirit who testifies of Jesus, and look at John 15, and we just look at verse 26. He says, um, But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, well, he will testify of me, and you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. And you add that to the next chapter, verse uh, 16, verses 13 through 15. And you know, chapters 15 and 16 are... The, um, but mostly 16, are the uh, to study the Holy Spirit. And then there's Corinthians and others, but um, just regarding his testimony, that same Holy Spirit that was at creation. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. and He will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said it, that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You know, he doesn't speak of himself. In verse uh, in 15, he speaks of Jesus. In, in chapter 16, he doesn't speak of himself, it says, and always points to Jesus. So who speaks through us? when we give the gospel and when we give God's word. Well, that same Holy Spirit that was there at creation speaks through us. How do we know when the Holy Spirit's speaking through us? Well, when we do not speak of ourselves, like he didn't, <laughs> and when we point to Jesus, like he did, when we do not seek to draw attention to ourselves or seek our own glory or take credit, we speak only those things that were given, same as the Holy Spirit. And when what we say lines up with the word of God, and if people despise you for that, Jesus says, well, they don't despise you. They, they're, they're despising the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, same Spirit who sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts, Romans 5. Same Spirit who makes us free from the grip of sin, dwells in us, helps us to pray, Romans chapter 8. If you're struggling, Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. But he frees us from sin. And uh, it's the same Holy Spirit who washes us, sanctifies us, justifies us in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, seals us in Ephesians 1, 13, who gives us gifts to minister to one another, build up the brethren. Because, going to Revelation 22, uh, verse 17, he says, And the Spirit and the Bride say come and let him who hears say come 
Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Because it's the same spirit that was at creation is the Holy Spirit with the bride, that's us, that will say, come, any that are thirsty, and whoever willing, come. That same Holy Spirit that brooded over creation at the very beginning now brings all things to this final place, drawing people to Jesus Christ. Well, Psalm 136 we read last week um, tells us why. Talking about creation, it's because his mercy endures forever. And for the rest of the world, the same is true, if they will come when the Spirit calls them and draws them. So that's all I have for tonight. The, the gist of it, though, that same Holy Spirit that was there at, at the very beginning and brooded over creation before we were even created, before anything else was created, that same Holy Spirit that brooded over that, that was in that position of, of putting all these things in place, did it for a reason. Well, because His mercy endures forever. So that throughout the history of the world, man would be able to say with the Holy Spirit to anybody who's willing to come, come. Praise the Lord. Father, we just are grateful for what you've done here in your word. And as much as we have to try and sort out what the uh, worldly wisdom is, Father, we just want to look and count, count on you and your wisdom and trust in you and uh, rest in that. And Lord, we don't need to make sense of what they're, they're theorizing. We only need to say what your word says. And so I pray you'd give us that wisdom. You'd give us that strength. You'd bring your word to mind when we're sharing with others. I pray, Lord, we'd let you fight the battle for us because you've already won and you're drawing people to yourself and you're just having us go out and, and uh, ask them to come. And so, Father, please use us for your glory. And as always, we, we pray that uh, uh, you would uh, let your word go forth and not return void as you promised. Thank you for the love that we have in this fellowship, the love among the brethren and Thank you for the like-mindedness, and I pray that you continue to keep us centered on your word so that we could continue to march as one um, with a, just a single-mindedness to glorify you and to draw men to yourself and women. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.